0: Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay.
1: Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and we're here with the returning guest, Bree Walta. You may remember her from episode 16 called Cutting the Cords where she talked about her, you know, rituals that she's done with ayahuasca, her experience there of letting go, of releasing, of moving through. But today we're going to talk about we're going to narrow in a little bit and talk about specifically toxic relationships and how you've worked through, overcome and now coach other women to get through those, right? To get out, get through and recover.
2: Yeah. Hi. Good to be back.
1: Yeah, I'm really happy to have you on, and and this is such. We we're just talking before the show. This is such a universal topic. You know, I feel like everyone I know has either been in a toxic relationship, including me. I think I've been in a handful, um, or just known people that have been in toxic relationships.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild the the amount of people that have this shared experience. Um, and on the scale of toxicity, a lot of people have. Almost verbatim, the same experiences or experience the same types of things from their partners, and it, it's a little wild to think about how how common and um, like not unique it is in its um, specific, specificity, I guess
1: yeah, so before we dive in here, can you define what a toxic relationship means, or maybe some of those you know features that you know really classify a toxic relationship?
2: Yeah. So I define a toxic relationship as a severely dysfunctional relationship that is being fed from patterns from both sides. So usually one partner has patterns that are what we would, you know, deem a little bit more severe in the gaslighting, the manipulation, um, the lying, the cheating, whatever they are doing sort of more on the, the narcissistic tendency, narcissistic end. And then there's usually one partner who is categorized themselves more as um, empathetic and the one that is typically more codependent, typically has more of an anxious attachment style. Um, And while those patterns may not be as severe and as malicious as the other, they are still toxic in nature because the two, two sides of the toxicity have to come together to make the relationship last. Because if there's only kind of the bullshit coming from one side and the other person was secure and perfect, uh, they wouldn't put up with it. So there'd be no relationship. So there's gotta be some part from both sides that sort of enable this really toxic wheel to keep rolling. So being able to see your side and, and the relationship and the dysfunction overall um, is sort of how I define what a toxic relationship is.
1: That's fantastic. And what I really like about, your business and why you're a fantastic fit for this show is that you've been in toxic relationship and you've actually used that learning to create a coaching program that you can share with other people in order to help them identify and get out of it. Can you share a little bit about the relationship that you were in and maybe some examples of how toxic it was?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I was in a relationship for four years and similar to a lot of the clients I work with and other people who have this experience, the beginning was like a fairy tale. It was too good to be true. Um, you know, we were soulmates. It was, we were going on exciting adventures. It was a lot of, it was a lot of excitement and passion and adrenaline and just all of the stuff that just hooks you right in. Right. Um, and it's slowly over the years that started to become less and less, which, you know, you always hear from people like the honeymoon phase is over and this is just how relationships are now. And so, I had that message sort of in the back of my mind is, you know, nothing's necessarily wrong. It's just relationships get hard and real over time. Um, But I was getting to a point where I was feeling very depressed and very anxious, um, almost considering anxiety medication for just the level of anxiety I consistently felt Um, feeling like I was walking on eggshells and unable to have conversations um, and in the conversations we did have often leaving those conversations more confused than clear. <laughs> there was, there was not a resolve. It was typically I left feeling pretty guilty for needing to have the conversation in the first place. So just like the things kept building on each other and nothing ever cleared. And there was not a lot of um, space to like be in love. Cause we were felt like in conflict, at least for the, the, um, the end of the relationship. And I was really just, you know, having a lot of fear around speaking my needs, what what his reaction would be. And it turned into me becoming a person that I didn't recognize. I didn't, I didn't like this anxiety that I had. I didn't like, you know, being afraid to walk in the door and have a fight. And, you know, I didn't want to live in that sort of realm. And I was kind of surprised how that happened. (laughs) So um, I mean, I knew I had been codependent my whole life. I grew up in a environment with addiction, um, in our family system, you know, I took on the, the codependent role. I was the rescuer with the Cape, you know, flying in to save the day. And that was so ingrained in me. It was so normal to sort of take care of other people. Um, and I, so I knew that pattern, existed within me, but I didn't really recognize how much that played into the dysfunction that we had, because it's so much easier to, you know, blame your partner and blame that they can't show up and, you know, they're doing X, Y, Z, and sort of not have to look at your part in things. So uh, the relationship took a couple nosedives. And through that, that's when my codependency became very clear, too. So starting to do some work um, with the codependency and doing some research on attachment styles. I mean, I was, I was going to therapy for the both of us. I was reading the self-help books. I was doing the, like listening to the podcast, just trying to find the answer, trying to find what the secret sauce was to make this relationship work. Um, And just feeling also very hopeless in the same moment, knowing partially that I was probably doing more of the work than what should have been happening in a relationship where there's two people that should be doing work. Um, and you know, as, as the rescuer taking on all the responsibility to figure it out. So that became very clear. Um, and then I just got to this point where we had so many consecutive, um, fights and, and I was becoming this person that I didn't recognize that I just knew in my gut, somehow it finally clicked that this was not, I I couldn't exist in this place anymore. Um, And had thankfully some very supportive uh, girlfriends, which is not always the case, um, that really held my hand um, very literally through that, that afternoon of coming to the conclusion and then speaking it to him. So it was Ending the relationship was the hardest thing I have ever done to get the courage to actually say those words out loud and then to hold the boundary afterwards when a lot of the backlash started happening and um, trying to manage my own feelings of losing this relationship on top of all of the not-so-great betrayal feelings and having to hold boundaries. It was... It was a lot like going from kindergarten to graduate school and learning how to set boundaries. Um, And I'm grateful for that experience now because I needed that level of bitch slap to wake me up from the behavior I was putting up with, from my patterns I was contributing. Um, And it was such a relief to be out of that environment, you know, despite despite being alone and single, quote unquote, like I had felt so alone in the relationship more than I feel being a single person now. And being alone in a relationship is a special type of torture. It's just, it's a feeling that I don't wish upon upon anybody. So being able to be out of that was relieving. And then Obviously, you have some some level of loss with this person that you loved, and so having to grieve the relationship on top of on top of that, um, I feel like the grief period for these types of relationships are often pretty long and pretty nuanced in not only grieving the relationship and the person you loved but the person you thought they were and the future that you had planned out in your head that you had always hoped um, like they would live up to their potential to, to experience with you. Um, and then throwing on top of that, you know, missing somebody who's also often treated you really poorly and psychologically and emotionally abused you. And in some cases for clients of mine, there's been physical abuse and like that kind of mind fuck around, how do you miss somebody who's also treated you that way? So it's, it's complex, but the decision to leave the decision and having the courage to do so was the best decision I think I've ever made.
1: Yeah. Can you take us back to that mind fuck and what that was like for you? Right. Cause I'm hearing that it was a, it was a slow burn. Right. And it was something yeah. that you didn't realize it until you were probably far too deep in to be like, Oh my God, this is bad. But when you know, me as an outsider here, you know, fights every day, right. Walking <laughs> on eggshells, becoming someone who I don't know, yeah, you know, feeling that everything is a conflict, but then there's still that pull, right. There's still that pull to stay in their relationship. What was your particular mind fuck?
2: Oh, I mean that pull, that, that, that hope that one day he would show up in his fullest potential, right? Because to go back to the beginning of the relationship, and this is the case in a lot of the clients I work with too, they present in a way that is everything you want. They're communicative, they're romantic, they're, um, you know, empathetic, they're holding space, they're understanding, they're, you know, everything you want. So you know that they're capable of that. And you've seen it and you've experienced it. And so to then be in a place years later where you're no longer getting that, you're like, but I've seen it before. And mm-hmm. if he only did X, Y, Z, or if I only learned how to communicate better, that would allow him to do X, Y, Z, right? Um, it, it's like because you've seen it and experienced it, you can't let go of that dream. That, And then you start living in this fantasy world that one day that's going to happen. And the hope of that actually becoming true, I'll, and a lot of times becomes stronger than what your actual reality is. It's a lot of dissociation. It's a lot of choosing to not acknowledge these bad things or maybe partially acknowledge that things aren't, like, you shouldn't be yelling and you shouldn't be fighting and, that often. And um, But you always justify it somehow. You're like, yeah, but... He said he was going to read this book, and but he said he was going to therapy and he's going to work on it and he's, or they'll make little tiny um, efforts that you, you just like soak in as the world, you know, when in reality, it's like you, you're seeing what you want to see instead of acknowledging the reality of the situation. And a lot of times there is also gaslighting and manipulation like manipulation as a part of it too. So not only are you already trying to justify the behavior because you love them and you can't think about them being this type of person that is doing this to you or think about this relationship actually being that type of relationship, but they are actively or subconsciously in some cases manipulating you and gaslighting you so that you think you're even crazier than you already feel. And the psychological abuse that comes from gaslighting is very real. It's very real and very insidious. And it's, um, it's really hard to untangle. So when you're in, you know, we call it the fog, it's like, you can't, you can't see what you're in until you're very far outside of it. So to get to the moment where, you know, you finally start accepting that you're like, this is bullshit. Like what is happening? And for me, it wasn't even that it was bullshit. It was just that I didn't, I didn't recognize myself anymore. So, but you have to get to some point where you're, you're willing to step outside the the fog. And once you can do that, then you can objectively look back on, you know, all of the things that had happened and all of the moments where you, you knew in your gut, something wasn't right, but you just, you chose not to look at it because it was too, it was too painful to understand what that would mean. Um, So you can see a lot in hindsight, obviously.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it reminds me a lot of being in a relationship with an addict, you know, Uh like when that person is using, they are awful most of the time. But then there are these glimpses of like, oh, no, baby, like, I'm going to get clean. I'm going to get sober. Like, I got to therapy. Oh, you know, I did therapy for three sessions, but it's not the right person. I'm going to look again, yeah. you know, or like, oh, I went to a meeting and, you know, it was really great. And, you know, you check in two months later. No, that was the only one I went to. You know, it's, it's that real like, yeah, I, I think you really framed it perfectly, that glimmer of hope mm-hmm. and that moment of falling in love with the potential of somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that's, really, that's really powerful. I'm curious, before we go into break, I know gaslighting, I think is I think it's a common-ish term, but if you could define that really quickly and maybe give an example of some things that were gaslit in your relationship, just to, yeah. so our listeners can follow along. Because I think it's something that, like you said, is almost impossible to recognize when you're in it because it yeah. is so manipulative.
2: Yep. So the, I think the definition loosely is that it's somebody denying your reality. So it actually came from a movie... Um, I should know when it was made, but I can't think of the year right now, but an old movie where this guy was slowly turning down the actual gaslight in the room. So the room was getting darker. And she would say like, I think it's getting darker in here. And he'd be like, no, it's not. It's not until it was almost like pitch black in the room. And she's like, no, it's definitely getting darker in here. And he's like, no, something's wrong with you. You should get your eyes checked or you should, you know, so completely dismissing her experience. Um, And so, in my situation, I had that happen where things things would be said in conversation and I would bring that up as something we had talked about and it would be dismissed as not. Like we hadn't talked about it. We didn't agree on that. Um, also like telling you that you're overly needy and the things that you need are kind of outrageous, like really spinning it to deny the reality of what you're needing to be something that you should want or need. Um, so it's really any way that they can spin you, spin you around enough where the attention is no longer focused on them. It's back on, it's back on you and how it's your fault and how you're the crazy one.
1: Right. So it's putting all the blame on the partner and compounding that shame, right? So just like bearing it with levels of shame. Well, this is a fascinating topic. We're going to dive more into it on the other side of our break. Um, so for those of you tuning in, um, stay tuned and we'll see you on the other side.
0: This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark m-a-r-c-azuley-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.teachable.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back. I'm sitting here with Bree Walter, and we're talking about toxic relationships. Specifically it's just between someone who's codependent and someone who's narcissistic and you just shared your story and how you, you know I mean your words are so powerful of just, you know, didn't recognize who you were, right? Or started to have fights every day, or just kind of lost yourself in the fog. I think it's it's such again, I just always reflect whenever I hear you talk, just how common this is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's been um, since I've sort of come out in lack of a better term with my story and the work that I'm doing the amount of people that reach out um, and just thank me for speaking to something that often uh, there's a lot of shame and embarrassment around uh, or who say like gosh I struggled this I struggled with trying to get out of this for eight years and I wish I would have you know found you when I was in that moment of really needing that support and how many people, experience it and stay in the situations for such a long time because again they're not ready to let go of the the potential.
1: Yeah, and you know, that's happened to me. There's two times particularly that are coming to mind where I've been entranced by the potential. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think for me a lot of it was motivated by insecurity, if I'm being honest, right? Being very insecure about myself, about, you know, my desirability, whether that be attractiveness or just general you know, who would want to date me, right? Success, you know, I mean, these happened kind of fresh out of grad school when I was just really struggling and trying to like make ends meet. And I just had a really low opinion about myself. And I found myself in relationships with, frankly, unavailable women, right? Um, Whether they be people who, you know, I mean, one in particular came to find out was in another relationship that, you know, right, that I didn't know for like six months, Oh right, my God. And I was falling in love with the potential where she was like, yeah, I'm going to leave this guy. What we have is special. It's awesome. Like, and then every time I was with her, I would feel just so in love. Right. I mean, kind of what you're talking about that, you know, yeah. extreme honeymoon phase where I was like this feeling. And I think what's your feelings on this, right? Because I remember talking to my therapist and I was like, this feeling that I'm having is so strong. It has to be mutual. Like there's no way. That both – that she's also not feeling this like extreme level of like attraction and bonding. Yeah. But it turns out like she wasn't, right? Because she she either like didn't take the steps or she was stuck in her own relationship for other reasons or, or whatever. Um, but it was just uh, – it was a real mindfuck for me to be having such strong feelings and for those really not to be reciprocated as far as I could have told. Yeah.
2: Well, and like maybe her need for those feelings was like – unquenchable, right? So she needed them from you and she needed them from the other person and she probably needed them from her work and like yeah. you know that constant hose being fed to her of you know the the external validation and um you're lovable and wanted and desired and sexy or whatever she was getting from it, you know. So it yeah, it could be a lot of things.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Is that she was seeking that desire and yes, she would find in her work and her hobbies and her personal life like just needing to be um yeah. desired, almost worshipped to a point. Right. Yeah. So even though I felt like I had something very special with her, it, it wasn't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it was something that again she was attracting from from many other people. And I, I got stuck there. I, I got stuck in there for about eighteen months of just wanting it and then having the like okay we broke up and then finding out later that they didn't break up but they're back together and and all this kind of stuff and it wasn't until um what's still the deal i mean you're talking about having good friends luckily my friends got through to me it was um this individual's roommate sent me a photo of uh the person i was dating and her ex like that she found on facebook and was like look they're together because i don't really use social media but this you know this Roommate was awesome and just like did the stalking for me essentially. <laughs> yeah. And that was, that was great. I mean, luckily I, that yeah. was able to get through where I was like, whoa, you know, this was one very clear boundary that I had. If we were going to do this, is that you couldn't be with this dude that caused so much, so much drama. Um, yeah. but the gaslighting came up, right. Where she was like, you know, it's, it's my life. It's my right, you know, my body, my choice, all the stuff that I, I believe in, but yeah, I was like, yeah, but it's like, it's kind of like different. Right. I mean, this, I'm not saying like, don't have male friends. I'm saying like this guy who you lied about dating when yeah. we were dating, like probably shouldn't be in your life. Right. Like I'm not yeah. comfortable with this one individual, yeah.
2: you know? Um, and then did you start to believe that what you, what you, that one boundary you had was like wrong because of the gaslighting?
1: hundred percent, hundred percent. I was like, am I just like, like, am I racist? Am I like anti-women? Like, like, am I like, am I not woke enough to be in this relationship? Like, am I so insecure that like, I can't tolerate this? And I was like, maybe there's something wrong with me. Um, But then, yeah, getting reality checked from actually her friends, which I think was really helpful. Like my friends were doing it, but it was when her friends came to me and were like, look, like, you know, we love so-and-so and we love you, but like, she's not treating you right. And you deserve a lot yeah. better. And that, that got through that got through.
2: Yeah. Good. Good. I'm <laughs> glad you, I'm glad you had one boundary because often we have zero boundaries as the codependent in the dynamic, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, just able to be walked all over.
1: Yeah. Can you say a little bit about that, about how, like, how codependency manifests and this idea of zero boundaries? Cause I think, I think you're right. It took me a decade of therapy to be able to have one boundary Oh, boy. Let alone like a set of boundaries, you know?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, as you know, there's so much you can go into about codependency. But in general, you're you're trying to, you know, please everybody. You're afraid of their reactions. So you're managing their reactions by, you know, manipulating your behavior to create the outcome you want. Right. But before you understand what you're doing, you see codependency as you're just trying to help. You're just trying to. You know, I'm taking care of him because of XYZ, or I'm just trying to get him to see the light because he needs to see the light, or what you think you're helping, you think you're doing something beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, where in effect, you're just continuing to enable that person to stay in the victim role, right? And so, th- if they constantly need to be saved, then you have something to do, and you can focus all of your attention on that person. Um, that it can come across as like, you know, being. Critical of that person, too, right? So if you think they need to change something, um sending them all of the books they should be reading and at, you know finding them a therapist, whatever it's like going above and beyond um in business, that's not yours. I think that was the biggest learning piece for me. It's like, well, what is actually mine? What can I control, and what's not of my business like what what can I you know throw? ideas or suggestions out to, but then have no attachment to the outcome of whether they do it or not. Um, That concept was, was pretty foreign to me. So codependents typically don't have any boundaries because they typically don't know what they want or need or value because they've been so externally focused on everybody else. So we're very chameleon. Like we typically have lots of groups of different friends and we kind of fit in wherever with whoever we're with, because we can just learn to please anybody. And we take on a lot of um, pride, I think from being the one that's so nice and that everyone likes and that, you know, never causes conflict or or stirs the pot, right? When in reality, we're pretty like fucking terrified of stirring the pot because when that happens, usually big things in our life explode or have in our, in our past. So if you don't know what you value or need or want, then you can't have boundaries because there's nothing to protect. And I think people who, you know, are whether they're classified as narcissistic or on the scale of narcissism or just unhealthy people in general, they, they like people like that because they're suggestible.
1: Yeah. Can you say more about that? Like suggestible in they're easy to control or they fall into some sort of like story. What do you, Yeah, you know, what's think, attractive about a suggestible person to a narcissist? Yeah.
2: I think, I think in narcissism, they have, you know, they're, they're unable to take accountability for their own actions and they're unable to, to look at themselves as um, doing something wrong because it it would, it would hurt their entire existence of reality because in their mind, they need this external validation. They don't really have a lot of the internal uh, self-regulation or, or, So they need it from from people, from things, and so if somebody thinks that they're not the most wonderful, attractive, beautiful, sexy, desirable person, that's threatening to their sense of self. And so if they can be with somebody who they can subtly or not subtly tell that they're too needy and they're too emotional and they are, um, you know, crazy. They can they can constantly spin everything back onto you. And so you think it's your fault. And if you don't have a good like backboard being your values and your boundaries to bounce that stuff back off of, you just absorb it. You're just like, oh, this must be true because they're telling me it's true. And not only that, but you love them. You want to trust them. You want to believe what they're saying is true, right? So there's, there's so much that ties into why we accept the behavior and make the justifications and um yeah it's it's again you get you get put in the fog easier if you don't have (laughs) if you don't have solid things to stand on that are your own and that you're not willing to compromise on
1: yeah i'm curious can you speak more about the relationship between you know codependency and shame because what i've seen is that people that struggle with codependency that are codependent of whatever language you want to use it's like when the narcissist is doing that story, it falls into what that person already believes about themselves, oh, yeah. right? That they are broken, that there is something wrong, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. How's oh, yeah, that play it's con-
2: out? It's convenient for sure. Right. The it's inner- like, it's
1: like an awful perfect match.
2: Oh yeah. I mean the inner dialogue at the end of the day, your inner dialogue, you want your external envir- environment to match that, right? So if, if inside you really feel like you aren't good enough and um, you take up too much space and you're you're needy, right? If you find something in your external environment that somehow correlates with that, it's going to connect more because you want that those things to match subconsciously. So if you already have low self-esteem and um, don't really know what you want, like them telling you those things, you believe them on some level. So it's easier to get stuck in that that belief cycle too. And I, for my own experience, recognized that I had a lot of very self harmful dialogues um, that I wasn't even consciously aware that I was having, but on some level, I like accepted the abuse already because I had, I was already so mean to myself that I'm like, it felt familiar, familiar in a very fucked up way, you know? And often these, these people that we're in relationship with will mirror our fathers or our mothers or you know, some other dysfunction that we've had in our earlier years. And we attract these people to try to rewrite the story and heal the story from our, our previous loved one through this other person. Which is never going to work, but in our heads we're like, "Well, if we can get this person to love us, then my dad will," or whatever it is, right?
1: One hundred percent. Is that like the creepiest shit in the world?
2: It's so gross.
1: It's (laughs) so gross. It's so crazy. Yeah, in psychoanalysis, we call that the passionate bad fit. But it's like this idea of like repeating trauma. It's yeah. It's so creepy when you can really think and accept that that theory as truth.
2: Yeah, but that's why that's why people are able to to um, exist in abusive like situations because they either understand it on some level that they've had that literal abuse in their past um, or it's fitting some need for them to try to rewrite a narrative that they have when they were younger. So it's, you have to do a lot of narrative work, a lot of inner child healing, a lot of confidence building, um, which are, the main things that i work with when i work with people in my coaching container it's like we have to build that piece of you that part of you up so that you have enough self-respect to understand that this is abuse or understand that you're being treated in ways that you don't deserve and that you won't allow but if you don't have that that inner inner knowing that inner confidence then you you accept you know behavior that will
1: reflect that. Yeah, I think that's so true. And just back to what you're saying, right? If you don't have your own value set or even your own sense of identity, right? Whether you were abused as a child or you got into a series of toxic relationships or you never did the maturational work because of addiction or or eating disorder or whatever, right? Like you're very pliable. And there is something, you know, also kind of the new age way of looking at, right? That like the the energy or the vibe that you put out is what you attract. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, I've just found that to be so unbelievably true.
2: Yeah. Another cool part of getting out of something like this and healing from something like this, if you're doing oh, the genuine God. healing work and getting to the root of why you're attracting and why you're putting up with these things, when toxic people come into your environment after that, you're like, you're so repulsed from them. Like, you're like, get the fuck away from me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that anymore. I don't do that dance anymore. Like, I don't, I want to, I don't want to touch you with a 10-foot pole, you know? Um, so that's, that's a beautiful part that comes from doing that inner work.
1: Yeah, it's so crazy how the perspective shifts. You know, I, um, my mom, I don't want to diagnose her, but likely has some kind of personality disorder, right? And took up like a lot of space and a lot of attention in the room. And I found myself attracted to women like that. Right. That I was, but when it was my delusion, I was like, Oh, she must be like so desirable and so hot and so awesome. Like, look how much she's talking and how much everybody pays attention to her and like how popular and how cool she is. And like, every guy must want her. So like, I'm going to go for it. But like now I'm like, no, this person is like actually kind of like crazy. And it's just like (laughs) dominating the space. And everyone is like rolling their eyes and like wishing that she would leave. They're not like fawning over her, but I, I couldn't until I did a lot of my own work, I couldn't see the difference between that. I totally misinterpreted the situation.
2: Yeah. It's either we're very like repulsed by or turned on by like the characteristics that our our parents had. Right. It's like,
1: yeah, it's, yeah, it's so crazy. Um,
2: Yeah.
1: So we're going to move into our final segment here. Um, I want to hear more about the coaching that you do. Um, You said you have a masterclass that's going to be launching pretty soon. I want to know about that Um, and also talk about some preventive of of what happens if someone um, is single now and is afraid of getting into a toxic relationship, what they might want to notice. So stay tuned if you're listening and we'll catch you on the other side of the break.
0: This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark m-a-r-c-azuley-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.teachable.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azule. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back for our final segment. Brie, I want to dive into this coaching program that you're doing? Because I think it's awesome that, you know, someone that has been through it is able to put, you know, a step-by-step sequential program together to help people get out, recognize that they're in it, get out and recover um, from a toxic relationship. Can you share a little bit about that program, a little bit about, you know, the outline or maybe some examples of some of the lessons? What what can people get?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I work with women who are in sort of that – that struggle point, right, of having, of understanding that things aren't right, that they're not happy, and either that they've broken up and then they can't stop going back for the sex or going back for these short periods of, you know, relationship or whatever. So it's very on again, off again, or they've come to this conclusion um, and they can't get out of the relationship at all. So there is sort of a awareness around that it's toxic and that they're ready to, shift some things to, to be happy again is really what it comes down to. Um, And so I work with people in um, a coaching container, which is eight weeks long. And the reason we need eight weeks is to sort of move Mm -hmm. through all of these different pieces um, that, that play into why you're still in the relationship or why you can't let go. So we do a lot of healing work around your inner child We heal around your inner narratives of, you know, the shame that you're feeling from having been in this relationship for however many years. One of the biggest things that I hear from clients is like, I am a strong and independent woman in every like aspect of my life. Usually they own businesses. They have multiple properties. They're like on the outside are these powerhouses and they're like, yet in my relationships, like I crumble and completely revert back to like my childhood trauma essentially. And so there's a lot of shame in trying to understand how, how both of those things can exist and how, as you know, the narrative of the strong woman on the outside people see that and then they're like, Oh, you chose another loser. Or, oh, you're in this again. Or, Oh, you're single at 45 or, you know, whatever it is. There's a lot of embarrassment often around admitting, admitting that it's another relationship that failed quote unquote. That's a big word I hear is it was my fault. I should have been able to, you know, make it work. Um, and that they themselves are a failure to be at that stage in their life with yet another Breakup happening. So, a lot of healing around sort of those narratives. Um, and throughout the eight weeks, we come to a place where we actually do the cord cutting ceremony. So, if you had listened to the episode previous where we talked about the cord cutting ceremonies, um, they're very individualized now to your specific process, um, since I'm only doing them individually and not in the group dynamic. But what we do is we identify the patterns of that person who was in the toxic relationship, or if you're still in the relationship, the patterns that you have when you feel like you're at your, your worst or at your, um, for me, the, like the person I didn't recognize. So we identify those patterns and then I lead them through the guided energetic cord cutting ceremony where we go in and we really, honor that version of ourselves for you know doing the best that she could and showing up in the ways that she knew how and detaching from that. So by cutting that cord you release that version of yourself and all of the needs that she had to be externally validated and to you know be walked over and to be loved, um, you know, trying to solve her mother father issues. <laughs> we let go of, of that person and then move you towards your higher self and your higher potential. And so it's just a very beautiful um, ceremonious way to anchor in your decision. So not only is it energetically shifting your beliefs about yourself and how you show up, but you can reference it back and be like, oh, I did that ceremony around that. Like I didn't just wake up one day and was like, yeah, I'm going to let that go and then go eat breakfast. It's more of a, a pivotal moment, right? It's something that you can call back on when you're in that, that um, you know, feelings that we go back and forth with. So that's, that's a piece of my coaching that's different than some other um, more typical just talk coaching is we weave in those guided visualizations. Um, there's also a guided visualization around it, some inner child healing And I pull tarot cards at the beginning of every session and to sort of set the container for our time together. So I work really well with women who are also have some spirituality or really want to kind of foster a relationship with, you know, spirit, the universe and an energy greater than themselves, whatever. But they need some sort of additional support because they've been used to sort of doing everything by themselves. Um, and really sort of strong-arming their life in that way. So we weave in the spiritual aspects. Um, the beginning of every session, we do an energy clearing, quick meditation. Um, so it's it's more than just coming and talking for an hour. Um, and in between the sessions, I also offer spot coaching, which I feel is one of the most critical points um, when you're in this sort of letting go phase from a relationship, I equate it to a detox, because mm-hmm. if you've had a, a physical detox, you know how hard it is to let go of your drug of choice. And for us, the drug of choice is often the chaos and is the, the dysfunctional person and the, the potential that we've been holding on to. So when you've made that decision to leave, and you get the text from him, or he shows up with flowers or whatever it is, um, being able to text me or email me in that moment and be like, this is what's happening. This is what's coming up for me. Like, what do you see? Or what what did I ask you to remind me of? Or, you know, just having somebody who 100% understands what that's like and how immediately you go back into the mindfuck and you go back into, yeah, it's going to be different this time. He's promising he's going to show up in a different way. He's already found a therapist, whatever. Right. Um, And so having that ability to, to like reach me in the moment um, is really helpful to help clients bring their intentions back into reality and bring their brain back to all of the data that we've gone through around why the relationship's not working and how often these cycles of apologies and big gestures are Repetitive and pretty predictable, and so but you forget all of that when that's happening, right because
1: <laughs> like, it's so magical it's and so
2: magical and it's
1: it's what you want right you yes. want like the big apology and the big gesture,
2: yes, but you know what's interesting this has come up with a, a common theme with clients is we go through a, sort of a catalog of all of the ways that the person is not showing up or that they've hurt them in the past, and they come to these awareness moments of like yeah, I don't like our future would not be good together. Like he doesn't even like the same things that I like. And we could never go like and travel or what, like I don't even want a future with this person. But then they do something grand, right? And it's all of a sudden like, oh, we're going to have all those things and it's just all going to change. And I'm just like, (laughs) hold on. (laughs) You told me literally you've had four years of this, this same repetitive pattern. Like, so- being able to just call you out on your shit is really what it comes down to. Um, and that's sort of the beauty of coaching versus therapy, right? As a, as a therapist, you have to sort of allow them to come to their own conclusions or not. Um, and so I, I obviously don't um, make people do anything or am harsh in, in that, but I will reflect back what I'm seeing in their partner's manipulation or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think that's great. And I love how comprehensive the program is and the on-spot, the on-site stuff is really good because, you know, I was reading one of your Instagram posts we talked about before of how friends can get frustrated, you know, and I've been that friend of just being like, hey, just like dump them, right? Like you've been talking to me about this person for years and, like, it's so obvious, at least to someone from the outside, of, like, wow, this is, like, the same shit. Like, it's, we've had this exact conversation, you know, dozens, if not, you know, hundreds of times. Yeah. Um, but it does sound like – I mean, obviously, even your friend saying don't – just dump them is not enough. So it sounds like they need, like you said, more of this inner child work, more of this, like, developmental stuff, more of these ceremonies to really understand it, right, and I guess – and feel through it.
2: Yeah, because – what your friends can't see is all of the underlying ties that you have to this relationship, mm-hmm. what the relationship means about you, what you're trying to fix from your childhood with this relationship, but you know, whether you're conscious of it or not, you're probably not at that point. <laughs> um, but they don't understand why it's not just as easy as leaving. Cause it's, it, that person is fulfilling so many things for you and you're so attached to that future fantasy that potential land that you've been living in so it's um it can be harmful sometimes and at at no fault of the friends because people get to a limit where they just have had enough and need to set their own boundary for their own reasons right but what happens with the person who's experiencing it is they feel even more alone and they feel even more misunderstood because often they can't even understand themselves what's happening So they can't articulate it in a way that makes any comprehensible sense, Um, and therefore the friends just hear, like, well, they hear the excuses, they hear the justifications. And of course you're going to get pissed off at that as the friend, right? So if you have friends that have been through it, that adds a level of um, benefit because they understand, right? Right. And that's the benefit of working with a coach who's been through it too, is I understand. (laughs) um but yeah in a lot of ways it can isolate the person further and then they feel even more shame because they don't understand fully what's happening and how to how to articulate it so they just withdraw completely and that's the ultimate goal of of the narcissist right is to isolate you in your confusion to <laughs> so you stay there forever like that's um it's it's really a crazy cycle to to get out of, I guess. And so trying to be as supportive as possible as the friend um, without shaming them. And if you do need to set boundaries, just uh, be very clear in the reasons you're setting them and not because that person is a bad person or whatever they're going to interpret from from the boundary.
1: Yeah. Or they can refer them to you. Right? Or for, yeah, them, right.
2: <laughs> for yes. them to Please uh, go
1: get some help. <laughs> <coach>. Yeah, <laughs> be like, I can't have this conversation anymore, but I know somebody who can, yeah. um, who in fact would love to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Um, yep. So, Brie, as we're moving towards the end of our show here, I'm curious if you could speak for a few minutes on prevention. You know, if there's yeah. people out there listening that are single um, and want to start dating but are afraid of this, right? Or maybe people that have recently gotten out of a toxic relationship but don't want to repeat it. Yep. What are some of your tips around how to avoid it in the first place? Not even be in the situation.
2: Yeah. Well, doing your work is going to be number one. So you have to be able to understand how your traumas play out in relationships. You have to be able to understand if you're more on the anxious attachment style, the avoidant, the secure, whatever, wherever you are in that scale. Uh, because the more information you have about the way you show up, the more you can be aware of, you know, potential blind spots. So if you have unhealed wounds, we talked about that, that kind of cycle of toxicity. That's what keeps you locked in that. And so once you start to heal and do some work around your boundaries and your values, you have a better understanding of who you are. And when you know who you are 100%, or, you know, I don't know if we're ever at 100%, but more than not, then you can stand for yourself and you can hold boundaries to protect yourself. Um, and so you're much less susceptible to the manipulation. And then if you do see red flags, acknowledging the red flags is a big thing, like <laughs> not over justifying for somebody um, and really seeing things uh, as they are in reality, instead of getting swept up and, you know, he's this way now, but it, if we just did some work together or whatever, it would be better. Um, and then one thing I hear from, from people who reach out to me is like, oh, I think I'm in one I don't know for sure. Like, how do I actually identify like what this is? So I actually put together a free masterclass that you can access through the link in my Instagram bio that goes into much more detail around sort of the red flags in a relationship. And it's titled the the seven questions to ask yourself if you think you are in a toxic relationship. So it leads you through um, a nice framework to just be pretty real and honest with yourself. Um, so I would recommend that if somebody is maybe starting to date and feeling some of these things or is in a relationship and, um, you know, is feeling some of these things and doesn't really know what to do with the, the information.
1: Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Um, one of the things that my therapist told when I was working through my particular version of this is that if I found myself thinking I can make this work, yeah, get out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the biggest points I think to that is knowing that you're not happy and not being able to let go or, or thinking that like you can do everything to make it work. Like that's relationships have to be a two way street. Right. And so if we're justifying why our partner shouldn't show up, then that's a big, that's a big red flag.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're just about our time here. Can you let people know where they might find you and they might learn more about your coaching?
2: Yeah. So I am mainly active on Instagram. So you can find me at Lucid Living With Free. Um, and in my bio there I have a link for that free masterclass that you can um, have access to. And also as a part of signing in for that masterclass, you do get a bonus of a free exploratory session with me. So if you go through all of the questions and you're like, oh shit. I answered yes to most of them and you want to talk through it further. I offer um, a free one hour session um, where we can kind of explore your struggles and what it would be like to work together.
1: That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Bree. for those listeners out there. If you found this useful, you know, giving us a five star review, sharing on social media, doing all the, you know, podcasty, YouTubey stuff really helps, um, especially if you have a friend that is in a toxic relationship that might need to hear what Bree has to say.
2: Yeah.
1: Thank you, Mark. This is great. Yeah. Thanks all for joining. And we'll see you next week on another episode of From the Ashes.
0: Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.